0: Matthew's account of the resurrection. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothing white as snow. they will see me, hear the word of the Lord. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything for humanity. And for followers of Jesus Christ, it is the decisive moment. The tomb is now empty. Death has been defeated. Death's bullying ways which Haunt us through life as we feel the texture ever more so of our mortality. Those bullying ways are pressed out of the way by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death died on that first Easter. That's the brightest idea I have ever pondered in life. Living as we are in this broken world that is saturated with death. We live in a world that is dark with death's shadows and sin's scourge our broken world is punctuated with experiences of death we face death at every turn globally in this moment we face death bucha ukraine eric i don't even have time to think about bucha ukraine and the Mass death there in the middle of the carnage of war. I've got enough dark things going on in my own personal life. So we experience darkness globally, but also, and more palpably, personally. We face broken things. Maybe you're here this morning in a hard place, in the midst of brokenness. Isn't it all too common in our world? I've been around three deaths in the last two weeks. My aunt, my friend this week, and a dear congregant's grandson this week. But there's more darkness in our broken world than simply death. We use the adjective dark to describe those experiences. Oh, That's a dark report from the news on that sexual abuse story that breaks out, we might say. Or sexual carnage against women by evil men and sexual trafficking, we'd say that's that's a dark industry. We use the term dark. Or even we use that term in describing emotional places we get to in this old broken world. Have you ever heard someone say, boy, he was in a dark place, or she is in a dark corner? We use dark, the term, as an adjective to describe these places and this evil. Depression takes us to dark places. COVID has had tragic effects on mental health. Around the globe. Have you ever had someone tell you something like, Eric, I feel like I am in a dark hole. Maybe you feel that way this morning. And I am so glad you are here. Because I have good news for you. And also, I and we can relate to dark places that we stumble upon in this broken world. Is that not true? Enter the light of the world. We think on this day of an old carol we sing at Christmas. Into those dark streets shineth the everlasting life. Enter the light of the world. According to Matthew 28 that I read to you, the resurrection account was punctuated by a an extraordinary flash of light. If a bolt of lightning would hit right in the center aisle, it would get our attention. While the appearance of the angel to roll away the stone was like, it says, a bolt of lightning, a flash of brilliant light. And doesn't that make sense as the light of the world was raised from the dead, and, and comments on the brilliant light that came from the angel's clothing. It was a light that overwhelmed them, especially in the midst of the gloom of death. What a game changing incident in history was the resurrection an overwhelming rush of light out of the darkness of death that brought hope to everyone who would flee to Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus brought overwhelming hope to our dark lives in this battered world. To the hopeless, to the dark, to the discouraged, to the grieving, God's light has shone. And of all places, it's streaming out of a now empty tomb. And it has come to us. And to know Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, is to have hope and to have life. And at Calvary Baptist Church, it's our joy to give ourselves to following him. And we invite you into this band committed to encourage each other along the way. This morning, I'd like to do three things at this Easter message. First, I would like to describe the setting of an extraordinary statement. And here's the statement. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 8, 12. We're going to look at the setting for this astounding statement. But secondly, we're going to look at the statement and pick it apart. It's actually extraordinary. An assertion that comes with an incredible promise. And finally, and this is maybe a question you will ask yourself, why does this matter? Why do these people gather to celebrate this? What difference does that make and i appreciate your inquiring heart because that is the most important question that i'll try to answer john 8 12 jesus assertion i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life now first then let me describe for you the setting for this outstanding statement It is in the midst of a festival celebrating light. Maybe you came to John chapter 8. Look across the page at John chapter 7. We pick up the storyline. What's going on in this moment of history? Chapter 7 and verse 2. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. In the first century, they had festivals of worship as prescribed by the law of God. And so the Feast of Booths was on. Eric, what's the Feast of Booths? Well, that was a time where, and we would say it today, they, would, they all went camping together. They, were, they would erect these booths, get in the booths, and as it were, reenact and remember Moses taking the people through the wilderness because they were all in temporary shelters that they moved around as they wandered in the wilderness, Now, if you've ever been to the Middle East and out into the wilderness, you would say to yourself, how on earth could anyone survive here for 40 minutes, let alone 40 years? And they survived on two things. Number one, and it is air. If you think New Mexico is dry, you go to the Negev and go outside of Judea and head toward the Dead Sea. There's nothing there. There's no water. You can't live without water. But Moses would beseech God to provide water, and water was provided. So one of the things they celebrated in the Feast of the Booze was water. In fact, on the great day, come to um, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, it would last seven days. John seven thirty-seven. on the last day of the feast, the great day. What happened on the last day? Well, the priest took the golden pitcher. And he went down to a place, the spring of Gihon, it was called. And he would dip down and he would get water in the pitcher. And they would parade down in festooning and it was quite something. And he would hold the golden bowl up. You say, well, Eric, what were they doing? They were remembering that were it not for God supplying water to his people, they would never have survived. So they're in the midst of this great parade, following him, coming back to the, where they had set up the booze, the temporary booze. And here's Jesus. Here's what he says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so right as they were celebrating how God in the past had provided for his people when they couldn't see how he was going to provide, and they needed water so desperately, Jesus said, Come to me. I will satisfy you with myself in a way that will give you, as Peter, his follower, describes, all that you need for life and godliness. So Jesus levies the invitation. By the way, he is still levying invitations and inviting people to be deeply satisfied in him. Do you know him as your Savior this morning? Now, another of the great glories of the feast was not only the celebration of water, it was the celebration of light, because if you wander around in the wilderness, you can get lost easily, and the roads are not clearly marked. It's not like there's an interstate highway system out there or GPS cell towers to keep us on the right way. They wandered around for 40 years. How'd they know where to go, Eric? a light shone above the tabernacle. At night, it showed up as a fiery pillar. During the day, it was a self-evident cloud. When the cloud was over the tabernacle, they stayed put. When it began to move out, they said, hey, it's time to fold our tents. We're going to the next place. And it was the light of God that preserved them in the wilderness. So as they're having this Feast of Booths, another thing they did was there was this giant menorah, the, as it were, Jewish candelabra, and they would light it, and it emanated extraordinary light, and there was a festive lighting of the menorah for the Feast of Booths. Why? Because they were celebrating the Lord's guidance of His people and His care over them, and it was richly enjoyed and very much at the heart of this Feast of Booth. And so they would look at the menorah lit and remember that fiery pillar that took them along. And so in the middle of that ceremony, with the lights lit, there came a time, of course, when the Feast of Booth got over. Just like the Olympic flame. You know, just put it out. The light was temporary. It came. And it went, in the very court of the women, Jesus stands up in John 8, 12, after the feast is over, recently, and he says this in front of the menorah, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this helped them understand that um, earthly light comes and goes. But Jesus was claiming to have an enduring light that is sustained, offered by God for us. And just as the light without which the people of God would have perished in the wilderness, preserved their lives, so this light would give them life in a way that they didn't have. I am the light of the world. So that's the setting. So it's not like in the middle of what no one was thinking about, the farthest thing from their mind, Jesus stands up and says, Oh, you know, I haven't told you yet. I am the light of the world. No. In a very dramatic way, he has just invited them, Come unto me. I will satisfy your thirst. And then they extinguish the light. The festival's over, and Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. It had a way of getting their attention. The question for us on this Easter morning is, is it getting ours? Now, secondly then, the astounding claim made by Jesus is simply this, I am the light of the world. Now, the background for this would be a couple of things. One is uh, how Jesus is introduced in the Gospel of John. Listen to these words. In him, Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. One of the properties of living is how we look in our eyes. Which the moment after we die our eyes look different. The light of life is in Our eyes as we live. Think of what Moses starts the book of Genesis with. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light And God saw the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. Let's first look at the assertion and then notice the promise. Again, two parts. Assertion, I am the light of the world. Promise, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. He begins with the divine name. I am. Every shrewd Jewish little girl who heard him say that would say, wait a minute, I heard that before. I heard that at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. When Moses said, God, who do I tell them you are? What is your name when I go down there and tell them, hey, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt? He said, tell them I am sent you. I am. The eternal self-existent God Depended upon no one else. A unique one and only. Eternally existing. And so Jesus uses this divine name and immediately their attention would have been sparked. I am. I am the definite article. I am the a one and only, designating one peerless among the other, head and shoulders above, no competitor, the... Now, there are a number of people who have yet to repent of the sin of envy, and they don't like Ohio State. <laughs> it is actually college football envy, that's why they don't like them They need to repent and join the winning team. Some of them hate Ohio State because of Ohio State's name. Their legal name is the, definite article, Ohio State University. The. And when they named the university, it wasn't just any other university. It was the Ohio State University. Now, some find that hubris. Till they watch him play football, and then they say, oh, I get it now, you know. <laughs> the Ohio State football. Oh, they're lamb for their title, and I'm being playful, of course. But the definite article in the official legal name of the institution says something about those who perceive the institution as something. I am not just any. The. I am the. Light of the world. Light is bright. It is representing holy. It is right. It is good. It is perfect. Light is tied inextricably in Scripture, and I've read those verses to you with vitality and life, of living life to the fullest. It would be in contrast to darkness and deeds of darkness and evil. Jesus isn't darkness in the world. He is the light of the world. Now there's a reason why Lucas, George Lucas put Darth Vader in black. Because that was the nature of his character in the Star Wars series. He Personifies the dark side. Evil. He's in black. Christ is different. He is light. Now notice it doesn't say he reflects the light. No, he said, I am the light. It's who he is. Then that stands the reason why John, one of his followers, would later say, 1 John 1 5, God is light. That's who he is. He doesn't reflect the light. You know the moon is a leech. You say, Eric, I, I watched it. You know, it, it. It shone. You know, I, I, I was in bed last night. I don't even know if the moon shined. But um, the moon's a leech. The moon has no light in itself. It cheats. The sun peeks over the edge of the earth and it reflects the sun. The sun has all the light. Jesus is light in and of himself. He reflects himself. He radiates perfection. Light, life, righteousness is reflected. Now, it would have been so striking to them to think about permanent light and temporary light. Standing in front of the menorah that was just extinguished, kind of like the Olympic flame when it's over. You know, it's out. Great light, now gone, temporary, impermanent. And Jesus is permanent, sustained. He is eternally the light. At one point, Paul, describing the magnificence of God, says he dwells in unapproachable light. It's an expression of who he is. He's the light. I am the light of the world. You say, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was a Jewish guy just for Jewish people. Oh, he, he was for Jewish people, but he was for more than that. He was for all of the peoples of the world. I am the light of the whole world, all the peoples of the world. And God is inviting you in Christ to the light. God is interested in you and sent his son the light of the world and we make up the world and he's interested in us I am the light of the world that's the assertion it's extraordinary now what about the promise whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life the assertion comes with this extraordinary promise that those who follow him will not be in the dark. And we will live with the vitality, the light of life. And at another point, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, that you might really live. The authorized version has, I have come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. This light-filled vitality that comes with knowing Jesus and fills life with zest and meaning and purpose and glory, that light has come. And when we follow him, we experience that life because of that life of Jesus that comes to be a part of us. You have to agree with me that in Western culture in this moment, in our honest moments, in our heart of hearts, many would say, Eric, what? You're calling this living? Broad despair. Despair. Broad and the word, it's a cool word, but nobody knows what it means. Benality, broad emptiness, nothing has any meaning whatsoever. It's all nihilism. And devoid of any meaning, it's, we're just walking around as zombies looking around for the next titillating experience. And many using substances to somehow try to prop themselves up in the midst of life. And Jesus steps into the middle of that darkness and says, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will have the light of life. Is that your experience? We want that for you. We relish that experience in knowing he who said, I am the light of the world. What makes this claim so astounding then, thirdly? Who cares? Mounts, you're up there droning on. Okay, that's Sunday speak. You know, my heart is yawning Okay, well, let me go after your heart. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What makes this claim by Jesus so astounding? Now we get to the real matter. Who cares what claim Jesus makes about himself? There are two reasons why this claim matters. First, we need this light to understand our own lives. There's an English phrase, you know, I was in the dark on that one. A few years ago, in God's mercy, I stumbled onto my 60th birthday. We had the most wonderful dinner with our children. I can still taste the meat. That my son grilled it was just picked off perfectly and it was high quality meat we had a wonderful meal together and it's kind of odd as soon as the meal got over one family took flight deciding that they needed to go shopping i didn't say anything but i thought that's kind of weird you're shopping i mean we just ate so they 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 take off and then a little while well they left hey man boy that's a great meal see ya. And I thought, man, this, this party's shutting down early, you know. I hope it wasn't a reflection of their affection for the you know, person celebrating the birthday, you know. <laughs> and then finally, I, it gets down to my son and I. We're all that's left. We're sitting there. And his phone rings. Said, yeah, okay, he came in. All right. Hey, Dad, I ordered a wedge, and it came in at the golf club. I did. Do you care if we go over and get it tonight? No, that's fine. Let's get everybody else left. Why don't we leave? You know, so we hop in the car, we're talking, just thorough going conversation. We roll up and he said, Oh, he said it's out back, and, and that building out back. So we, we go out there. And in the farthest thing from my mind, so I walk in there, and those pack of liars, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I walk into a group of people who were assembled to celebrate my birthday. I was totally in the dark. But I came into the light when they said, yeah, the, the golf clubs around here. And I walk around. There they are. They start singing happy birthday. It was actually a wonderful, wonderful evening. Our, uh, my, our kids planned it. It was great. But I was in the dark. By the way, I don't like being in the dark. <laughs> I, when I was a little boy, I didn't like being in the dark. I preferred the light. You know, turn the lights on. That's better. I still don't like to be in the dark. I want to be in the flow of information, of what is true about myself and what is true about God and what is true about life. I want to be in the light. Andy and I have painted who knows how many. Maybe the count is 4,283 rooms by this point in our marriage. We love to paint. My wife is the world's greatest painter. She painted commercially to make money to get through college. And when she cuts, it is a straight line. That is perfectly levied with the right amount of paint, and there's no paint on the floor. There's no drips anywhere, and she she'll get it perfect. Now any idiot can roll, so she'll say, "Okay, roll that wall," you know. So, I, you know, I'm I'm rolling the wall, and um, and she used to make me angry because I'm I'm immature and need to repent and got a hard heart, but um, but because when I'd finish um, painting. She would get an extension cord, plug it into a cord and a lamp and take the lampshade off and turn it on. And she's up there looking. Oh, ah, look, do you see this drip? No, I didn't see the drip. You know, so I get, look here, some of the original paints. Yeah, I can see it, you know. But I would think it was perfect. Uh, 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 but you know what exposed it was the light. You couldn't see it until you got close to the light. At one point, I thought I was a pretty good basketball player. I played college basketball at Cedarville, and that's kind of you know the, the lower ranks. But anyway, I had a great time and a great experience there. My freshman year, we played a team, and they were from that series of schools in the Historic Black uh, Colleges Association Central State University. And in the history of our school, as we had played them all through the years, we'd only beat them one time. And so we were you know let's, let's get them. Let's let this be the year and. Uh, So I was a freshman, and I thought I was pretty good. And I had these high notions about who I really was on the basketball floor. And in the middle of the game, there was a ball that caromed outside. And I played guard, usually number two position. And um, the the other team got the ball, and they threw the ball out to a man whose name was Steve Bayless. Steve was the last guy cut by the Cavaliers that year after the draft. But anyway, he took off. And I thought, oh, no, not on my watch, buddy. I'm going to take care of you. So I was behind him, but I was at a perfect angle that as he was going for the basket, I, I was going to, you know, defend him. And as long as I could get to the ball before it hit the backboard, it wouldn't be goaltending, and I was going to block the shot. And I was in perfect position, and I'm cruising up behind him, and I took off jumping. And, you know, I, I was impressed with my vertical jump. I, I, I thought I was pretty good. And I jumped as high as I could, and I reach up for the ball. And I experienced something I had never experienced before. His butt flew over my head, and he tomahawk dunked right over the top of me. And as I came down, I was disabused of the notion that I was a pretty good player. Because when the light came on in that moment, and I saw myself for who I really was, my vertical wasn't that impressive. His still is... To me, as I'm telling you this story, you know what? Y'all look pretty good. And that's what we think of ourselves till we get next to Jesus. And when you get next to Jesus, the light of the world, you come to understand who he is, perfect in his beauty, without sin. And then you see yourself differently. We come to understand what is true about ourselves. We are sinfully estranged from a God who is holy. That original paint job begins to bleed through. And we are undone. But don't miss this friends, that's why the light of the world came. The light of the world came to die on the cross, taking the guilt and penalty of our sin, So that we, in recognizing next to the light our need of him, as we trust in him, he gives us the gift of his righteousness. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see the paint drips and the original color of the wall. He sees the perfections of his son, Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you ever got close enough to Jesus to see yourself as you really are? Or are you still in the dark living, thinking you're going to be way okay before God when you meet him? Apart from Jesus, you're not going to be way okay. In fact, isn't it interesting that the term used for estrangement from God throughout all eternity is called outer darkness? Whatever that is, and I'm sure I haven't plummeted the depths of understanding. I don't want to understand any more about that. Oh, the glory of having the light of Jesus tell us the truth about ourselves and see the truth about him and his love and just be embraced by the light and have our sin be swallowed up in his sacrifice for us. Is that you? And has God brought you here this morning for that purpose? We use the English word enlightening. Jesus introduces us to a whole new way of life, a Jesus kind of life. Psalm 36.9 says, for with us, I mean, for with you is the fountain of life. In your life, we see light. Secondly and finally, what makes this claim of Jesus so astounding? Not only, we need this light to understand ourselves. Secondly, we need this light to bring hope in our death. Went to visit a guy one time who was discouraged. I got to his apartment, and there was hardly any light on. He was sitting in the dark, and the blinds were down. The first thing I did was turn on the lights. And by the way, I don't do everything right, and I was just trying to be next to one who was discouraged. I turned on the lights. I opened the blinds. I said, hey, go change your clothes. Let's go get something to eat. And we left. We came out into the light. We need light to bring hope in our discouragement. Of all things associated with darkness, the opposite of life, death is at the center. Death is central. Have you ever noticed that the grim reaper never has a khaki suit or a red tie? The grim reaper has one color in his wardrobe. He's always black. Most hearsts are usually black. That's fitting because death is dark. In fact, David in Psalm 23, a verse that some know. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. for You are with me your rod and your staff that comfort me. The shadows are in the valley where death is. Enter that valley light of the world. And that valley is reshaped with his presence, with his call away from fear and with his comfort. Psalm 23, 4. That's about hope. Remember, I was in Mammoth Cave, and the uh, guide got the, going through this tour, and the guide got the bright idea. Hey, you ever seen total darkness? You know, as a boy, I thought, you know what? I don't think total darkness would be that cool. Let's not see total darkness. Pfft, the lights went off. I was just praying that the grid wouldn't go down, you know, so we could get out of there, you know. It's uncomfortable in the dark. I love the light. And so do you. And the light has come. I am the light. Of the world. Into this valley of death and shadows and discouragement comes the light of the world. Ten days ago, I was at the casket of my aunt who died suddenly. I was trying to console my cousin. I said, Jimmy, I'm so sorry your mother died. And my cousin's a follower of Jesus Christ. And he grabbed a hold of me and he said, Eric, I don't know what I would do if I did not know Jesus Christ as my Savior. My comfort is in our hope. Because this is not the end. And in that dark moment, the light of the gospel shows up in the person of Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. I love the light. Oh, dear ones, the light has come. The light has resolved our sin. The light has overcome death. Augustine, St. Augustine in the 5th century said this, There is therefore a light which made this light of the sun. Let us love this light and long to understand it and that we may so live in it that we may never die. I love that. I would simply say amen. Augustine's right. Now light is associated with salvation in the Bible. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The resurrection of the light of the world overcame the darkness of death and brought hope. Sin brought death and darkness. Christ brought light and the possibility of hope for everyone who would come to him. We are all hungry for hope. We're pinging for it like a radar. We yearn for real and substantial hope, a hope to lean on, a hope to live by, a hope to live with, and a hope to die with. I am the light of the world. University of Cincinnati, an extraordinarily good institution, argues in their medicine, in science there is hope, that hope is sequestered. And this is a big part of the party line today. You know, we, we need to hope in science. What happens in the oncology department You see, when in science there is hope, and whatever they've come up with is not going to keep the disease from overtaking my life We need something besides science to help us. I was in Columbus uh, 10 days ago driving down the street, and I saw this window painted up really nice, and it said, art is hope. And it was emblematic of a world crying out to find hope someplace. I've been with a lot of folks in death through the years. Not one time did I ever see anyone find solace clutching a piece of art. But how many have I been beside who found great solace, clutching hold of a crucified, risen Savior who had brought them into the light and into a hope that wouldn't quit and would last. Wrenching loss in death, certainly. Substantial and robust hope in knowing The light of the world? Absolutely. John 8 12 is a footnote on that old gospel hymn that said, I am now possessed by a hope that is steadfast and sure since Jesus came into my heart. Oh, I want you to have, we want you to have this steadfast hope. With a guy about six months ago, he was going through a hard disease process. He was hospitalized. I got in touch with him. Hey, how are you doing? Ah, it's not, I'm not doing any good. Well, what, what's that mean not to be doing any good? He said, I am just spinning my wheels here with testing. And this got me. He said, And I don't feel like there's any light at the end of the tunnel. You know, in the Netherlands, they just passed the law. Now you can uh, sign up to be euthanized if you declare to them that you have no hope. How tragic! How tragic! What a glory to know He who has brought us unto hope, the light of the world, and to follow Him is to come to have that glorious promise. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you have? We want you to. The light of life in your life. Let's pray. Father, where do we go for hope? Many of us have come to you. And you've changed everything about us in our future and our past and our present with the person of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. For those here this morning, Lord, I pray that you would work in each heart, woo them, open their hearts to believe in you. To see the truth about who we are and who you are next to the light of the world. And Lord, to catch a glimpse of the robust hope that the empty tomb has brought us to. We follow a Savior who lives. And who has overcome our greatest threat. Thank you. Lord, hear our prayers as we respond to you now. Thank you, Lord, for providing all that we need to be saved and have hope and have vitality and life in knowing Jesus our Lord, in whose name I pray.